Hello everyone, and welcome to I Want to Watch the Very Best, because Got to Watch Em All was taken. I am your host, Brian Geyser, here to lead you on this incredible journey of discovering what it truly means to be a Pokemon Master. So, small bit of news, uh, there's not going to be an episode next week because I have a relative who's getting married, and I gotta go do wedding stuff, which is gonna be fun, but it means there's no time to really edit some Pokemon podcasts, sadly. Boo-hoo. So, uh, other news, just to kind of fill up runtime before we start the episode, I've been taking voiceover lessons with Richard Horvitz. He's a pretty cool guy, it was, uh, fun hearing his opinion on some stuff, and, uh, a lot of a lot of stuff I gotta consider when I audition for VO work, but it's definitely I think gonna help in the long run. I think this was worth it. Uh, he was he was a fun lad, and uh, that's it. That, that's basically it. It was it was an enjoyable time, and I think it'll help. Yay! I'm also working on getting a new job that isn't night shift because uh, the new schedule night shift put me on, it's it's just not working. I barely see anyone anymore. I don't see my own family. We all work at different hours, so it's it's getting kind of rough on us. So wish me luck. I applied for another position in the company. We'll see how that goes. And if that goes nowhere, then I'm going to just start looking somewhere else and see what happens. But wish me luck, guys. Believe in me, yeah! Okay, that's enough procrastination. Let's get into the episode that's already recorded and do it now, yeah! Episode 93, Naval Maneuvers! Synopsis. Arriving in Naval Island, Ash goes to challenge the next Orange crew member. But the test for the badge seems even more unorthodox than the first one. After receiving directions from Nurse Joy, the main trio approaches Naval Island, remarking in awe about its giant mountain. Just imagine the island from Link's Awakening, but without the egg on the top of the mountain, and you'll basically have what it looks like. Tracy tells Ash that he can obtain the Sea Ruby Badge there, so named because of the ruby in the center of the badge, despite it having a green gem and not a red one. I don't know. After landing, the group finds the island deserted and with no gym in sight. By the way, they never resolve why it's deserted. Like, the island is just abandoned for no reason. It is never brought up again. However, they do see a boat off the coast with a handsome anime man in a Geodude-themed Hawaiian shirt riding it. Growl. He lands and greets the group, asking if they are searching for the gym. He introduces himself as Danny and then flirts with Misty. Despite her being 10 and him looking like he's at least in his mid-twenties. Oh, my name is Misty. Misty, eh? That beautiful name suits you. You, you mean, mean her? her? Uh... My pleasure, Misty. Uh, nice to meet you. I've seen lots of beautiful things in these islands, but nothing as beautiful as you. Beautiful as... Me? Huh? Team Rocket once again spies from the water, excitedly assuming they're gonna win this time! Just because, I guess. Danny begins guiding the group, Misty commenting on his larger backpack. Danny says he likes to be prepared, and Misty judges Ash's usual lack of readiness, with the boy explaining that he doesn't need to be that ready because he's just that good. Danny then points out that the two of them seem pretty close, quoting the saying, 
You always hurt the ones you love. Misty blushing and running up closer to him, insisting that she would never love a little kid like Ash, only going for the mature intellectual types. A lot of red flags going off here for both sides! Ash starts to wonder who Danny even is, Tracy assuming he's just another gym challenger, which Ash takes as a personal challenge. Arriving at two giant metal doors, Tracy and Ash push them open, the group seeing that they're at the base of the mountain. Ash then spots a cable car and assumes that they just have to take that to the gym. Pikachu then points out a sign at the trail start, Tracy reading it aloud and revealing that all gym challengers must climb the mountain on foot. Not only that, but if they use any Pokemon to help, they are immediately disqualified. Ash groans at the idea, while Tracy tells Misty that, oh hey, those accompanying the trainer can just use the cable car freely, <laughs> let's go. Ash then steals himself with Pikachu's encouragement, Danny watching on smiling. It's then revealed that it's not a simple hike, but a full-fledged free climb to the top, like no harnesses or anything. Plus, the no Pokemon rule means that some challengers 100% give their Pokemon to their friends to not be tempted to use them, which puts them at incredible risk. This is a, you can't tell me people haven't died on this challenge, or at least gotten really injured. And this is primarily tackled by young kids from what we've seen from the Lapras episode. This is amazing. Ash struggles to keep up with Danny and becomes nervous at the height. Further up, Tracy calls out to him, saying him and Misty will see him at the top as they safely ride by in the cable car. Misty also sees Danny and wishes him safety. Ash gets upset that Misty is so obsessed with this guy, but that causes him to lose his footing and fall. He lands hard on an outcropping, like with an audible thwack and impact that would legitimately break someone's back from the sounds of it, but he manages to grab onto a ledge. He prepares to send out Bulbasaur, but Danny warns him not to, despite the very clear danger Ash is in. Once again, people have definitely died on this challenge, or at least will very soon. Ash realizes that he's right, and puts Bulbasaur's Pokeball away before climbing up himself, Danny watching on proudly. Getting closer to the top, Ash and Danny stop for a rest on an outcropping. While our hero is panting in exhaustion, because the air is definitely super thin and probably not great for straight climbing, Danny looks out at the sea and remarks about how perfect the mountain is. Ash then thanks Danny for stopping him from using Bulbasaur and saving him from disqualification. As a suction cup suddenly shoots out of the sky, sticking to and pulling on Pikachu. The clouds around the mountain part, revealing the Meowth Balloon and the laughing Team Rocket. It's also revealed that the clouds are actually just caused by them smoking fish in their balloon and blowing the smoke over to the mountain. Meowth tugs on the fishing rod with the suction cup, Ash struggling to hold on to Pikachu. Until Danny just walks calmly over and pops it off, the cup flying back into Meowth's face. Ash once more thanks Danny for the save. Angry, Meowth casts the line again, but Danny casually holds up a big rock, which the rod grabs onto instead, flying back and up, somehow into the balloon canvas, popping it and sending the trio flying. Well, okay then, bye. Ash does a surprised Pikachu face as Danny laughs and continues the climb. The rockets then speed off towards the top of the mountain, quickly becoming very cold.
However, just as they're about to hit the peak, geysers burst all around them, one final one gushing up and blasting them away further. We then cut to Ash and Danny, our hero shivering as it begins to snow close to the top. Pikachu collapses, Ash running over and realizing that his partner must be really cold right now, deciding to wrap Pikachu in his jacket and hold him close, determinedly resuming the climb, Danny watching on with some admiration. The two eventually reach the peak, where Misty and Tracy wait wrapped in blankets. Misty rushes over, Ash happily greeting her, as she then runs past him and to Danny. Danny then congratulates Ash on passing, Misty and Tracy revealing that they figured out he was a gym leader when they realized nobody was at the top, the climb being a preliminary test of sorts. Once again, a super dumb and dangerous test that a bunch of young kids are tackling, as we saw in the Lapras episode once again, like, these kids are gonna die. Danny confirms that he's the leader, officially introducing himself as an orange crew member. He then goes on to explain the rules of the actual challenge. There are three parts. There are three parts, with a badge being awarded if Ash can win two out of three of them. The first challenge is to see who can freeze the boiling water from the geyser the fastest, Danny choosing Nidoqueen and Ash picking Lapras. Each of them begins to use Ice Beam, which just sounds incredible, by the way. Ice Beam attack! Also, imagine, if you will, some poor kid climbing to the top of the mountain, somehow surviving this trial, and is then given this challenge, only to realize they don't have any Pokemon that know ice-freezing moves. That must suck. Nidoqueen then goes full blast, beating Lapras by just a few seconds, Danny calmly declaring himself the winner of that one. Laying the new ice stacks down, he then tells Ash that the next challenge is to carve out a bobsled from the ice, utilizing only three Pokemon. Ash quickly decides on his team, Pikachu, Bulbasaur, and Charizard. Misty and Tracy both react in very scared surprise, despite Tracy never having met Charizard, so maybe they just told him about it and he believed them? I don't know. Ash, however, is confident in his choice. Danny, meanwhile, chooses Machoke, Nidoqueen, and Scyther. He then gives the signal, both teams chipping away. Danny's having the clear advantage of experience. And Charizard, as expected, decides to take a nap. Ash begging him to help, please. He then begins tugging on the lizard's tail, begging it to use a flamethrower. Which it does. On Ash. However, it does end up helping him, landing some very well-placed fire blasts that kind of just shape the sled into existence. It's very impressive, actually. Danny, surprised but happy, gives the second round to Ash. Ash also makes sure to thank Charizard, and it gives him a Sundari kind of smiling, hmm. For the final challenge, both trainers must race their sled down the mountain to a goal on the beach, using three Pokemon to balance it. Danny uses Geodude, Electrode, and Scyther, while Ash uses Pikachu, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle. When the light turns green, both sides shoot off, while Danny and Ash order their Pokemon to help steer, staying roughly tied. Misty and Tracy are like, well, I guess let's take the cable car back down.
Well, I guess let's take the cable car back down. Ash begins to have trouble giving orders, though, and accidentally starts to spin out. A bit further down the hill, Team Rocket finishes setting another trap. A pitfall. Danny sees Ash falling behind from his mistakes, and teasingly remarks that there's no way for the boy to win now. <laughs> right as he falls into a hole trap, his team flying out of the sled and sprawling on the ground. Pikachu points this out to Ash, who then stops to help them. Danny and his team quickly recover, him remarking that the hole seemed pretty intentional to him. Ash confirming this. As he tells Danny his suspicions about it being Team Rocket, they burst out of some snowmen they built around themselves in the middle of the path, revealing that it was them indeed. Danny asks if these people are Ash's friends, and while Ash is vehemently denying it, Meowth pushes a button that causes the ground to collapse under the two. Your friends must be pretty smart and pretty skilled to set a trap like this one, Ash. They're not smart and they're not skilled and they're not friends. A robo-arm then grabs Pikachu, the trio then floating off in their balloon. Bulbasaur uses Vine Whip to free everyone from the pit, while Team Rocket have Pikachu's electricity power a water heater and a toaster for them. Just as they're about to enjoy some warm bread, Ash, Danny, and their Pokemon begin pelting the basket with snowballs. While at first it's just really annoying, Geodude's aim and speed causes the basket to fill with snow, weighing them down and forcing them to hurriedly throw the balls back. Danny then has Electrode get on the plank on the log, everyone else jumping on the other end of it to launch it into the balloon. Now, I can see them finding a log okay, like I can see them having like Scyther cut a tree down or something, but where did they get a perfectly carved and sanded wooden plank up there? Like, that's... Did one of them bring it? When Electrode hits the balloon, Pikachu is knocked free from it, Ash catching him. James then angrily throws out Victory Bell, getting eaten before Electrode lands in the basket and uses Explosion, throwing Team Rocket into the distance before landing safely back on the ground itself. The two trainers get back in their sleds, preparing to go again. Using the sun behind a cloud as a go signal, the two shoot down the mountain again, Tracy and Misty waiting eagerly at the bottom. Clearing the snow, the two then begin to sled on rocky terrain. While Danny has no trouble navigating, Ash quickly swerves out of the way of a rock and into the woods. This proves to be advantageous, though, as he then jumps out into the air behind Danny, landing next to him on an ice sled that's no more than a small slab now. It gets smaller and smaller as it breaks against the heated stones, but this lets Ash move faster than Danny's bulkier sled, crossing the finish line first. Danny compliments Ash's skill in Pokemon choice, awarding the boy with a Sea Ruby badge, which he then celebrates. Misty and Tracy are happy Ash won, but Misty is sad that Danny lost. You dang hypocrite! You yelled at Brock for rooting for Jeanette in the league. You can't do the same here and not be called out for it. Danny then waves the group off, wishing them luck as they sail away to a very loudly mixed song. Like, they they really didn't look too hard at the levels on this one. Okay, see, sissy? This is how you do a fun challenge. You know, minus the death mountain climb, Danny could cut that part out. But in seriousness, this was just much more fun to watch, even if the actual challenge was only like half the episode. Plus, this is actually the start of Charizard's kind of slight character growth. 
it becomes more significant later, and it doesn't really become apparent until a later episode, but he is beginning to change. But we'll get to that later down the road. Even though this is a big story episode, there's not a whole lot to mention besides that and what's already been said earlier. You know, Danny's kind of creepy, actually, especially in the age of like people being more aware of what a groomer is, but... Uh, Danny is never seen again, so I guess it doesn't matter. I still don't know why that town was abandoned, though. Why was no one else on the island? There were houses there that just had no one in them. Like, it's never, ever brought up again. Did Guys, I think Danny killed them. So anyway, I'll end by saying that this is just a fun episode to watch. No big thoughts involving it or anything, but it's a very high and fun energy time. Okay, let's head on over to... Episode 94, Snack Attack! Synopsis. Stopping on a small cluster of islands that are all part of a grapefruit farm, the group learn that thieves have been ransacking the place. However, upon further investigation, it seems to be one very large thief. We begin with Pikachu pointing out some approaching islands, Tracy telling the group it's the Grapefruit Island Cluster, famous for their bountiful grapefruit groves, which should probably be ripe this time of year. Deciding to check them out, the group speeds off, unaware that Jigglypuff is floating after them. Reaching land, Ash remarks how big the grapefruit are and plucks one for himself. But before he can dig in, an angry female voice yells for him to stop! You violated the law! A girl, later revealed to be named Ruby, runs up to them, calling the group thieves! Stop! Stop thieves! Did she say thieves? That's terrible! Well, I sure hope she catches them! I caught you red-handed! She tries to hit Ash with a stick, but he rolled high on his deck save and manages to block it with his backpack. Misty and Ash both insist they're not thieves, causing the girl to relax her attack. Despite them actually being thieves for realsies, Ash was just about to bite into his stolen fruit, but whatever. The group then sits together peacefully, Ruby apologizing and explaining that thieves have been stealing the grapefruit from their fruit farm. Ash's group apologizes as well, thinking that the grapefruit was wild and, you know, not owned and cultivated. Misty asks how they even get grapefruits that big, Ruby going into detail on how much care goes into cultivating the trees, including treating them with pesticides, weeding them, and recruiting Butterfree from neighboring islands to pollinate them. A man then rushes over, informing Ruby that the thieves struck again! Running over, they see that not only did the culprits steal the produce, but even tore the branches off of the trees. The man then calls out again, revealing the grapefruit thief. A Snorlax. Snorlax? Why it took them so long to locate this thing? Can't say, maybe they're blind. The group then suddenly realizes the gravity of the situation. That thing is going to eat literally every grapefruit on the island. Ruby demands the workers stop it, and they start shoving the Pokemon, only to get batted away without much effort. Her next idea is to pick the grapefruit before the Pokemon can reach it, her team rushing to get to work. Ash's team also helps, sending their Pokemon out to assist. Misty also successfully calls out Staryu and not Psyduck again. Once all the food is safely assembled in a pile on the ground, Ash remarks that, well, at least Snorlax won't get these. 
moments before Snorlax runs over and gets them. Tracy then suggests weakening it in the battle and catching it, Ash having Bulbasaur fight the lard ball. Unfortunately, its vine whip just bounces off, and its razor leaf just cuts the fruit for Snorlax. The large Pokemon then tires of these shenanigans, slowly falling on top of Bulbasaur and KOing the plant before continuing to eat. It then appears to look contented, the group happy to see that it'll probably sleep soon, giving them some time to plan. But instead of collapsing, it just gets up and walks to some more trees, terrifying the group. It then quickly decimates the island, eating every tree that had fruit on it, turning the entire island from lush greenery to barren dirt. I guess it ate the grass and brush too? Mm. Not realizing that they're pushing their luck and jinxing themselves, they say this. It's a good thing this is an island. At least now, Snorlax won't be able to gobble up any more grapefruit. Yeah, and as long as Snorlax can't get to the other islands, the rest of your grapefruit groves are safe. That's something to be grateful for. And, as expected, the very next scene shows Snorlax swimming away at mock speed to the next island. I mean, how do you think it got here in the first place? Ash also makes a pretty fun pun. I didn't know Snorlax could swim! It's doing the blubber fly! Of course! Ruby runs ahead on speedboat to warn HQ, while the Poke Crew follows Snorlax on Lapras. Meanwhile, the rockets harvest some of the grapefruit on another island to steal as food for their submarine. It's raining vitamin C! And we could sure use some these days. Luckily, we found an excellent source of free nutrition. <laughs> Thin skin. Just like you have, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> Meowth also tries to peel the skin off, but literally breaks his middle finger like it's just bent backwards. James wonders if the grapefruits here are actually grown to have thick skin, since he recalls his servants once giving him candy grapefruit peels. <laughs> Jesse then proposes that they make and sell their own grapefruit peel candy. Mm. As they hustle their haul to the Magikarp sub, they see Snorlax rapidly approaching their location, causing a wave as it shores that knocks the rockets down. Then, without any hesitation, it starts eating their stolen goods. Our heroes then approach as well, angrily asking what they're doing here, insisting that they'll be paragons of justice and stop Team Rocket stealing. Hey, give them some benefit of the doubt. If you didn't know the Grapefruits were public, maybe they didn't either. I mean, they knew for sure because they talked about stealing them, but you don't know that, Misty. Meowth then says that this'll be a good chance to get Snorlax and Pikachu instead of some grapefruits, and Ash steals himself for the fight. In a hectic HQ, Ruby communicates with someone in the grove standing right next to Snorlax, who wandered off during commercial break, I guess, trying to figure out how to stop the glutton. Ash's group then runs up to it, having ignored and run past Team Rocket, I guess. Ash sends out Squirtle, whose Skull Bash just Tink's effectiveness against Snorlax's body. In retaliation, the turtle is sat on. Misty sends out her Staryu, but its rapid spin is gently headbutted away, so she immediately recalls it. Rad. That was like three seconds. She then pops out her Goldeen, which wiggles helplessly on the ground, as Misty sheepishly apologizes, having pulled out the wrong one. Did she actually mean to send out Psyduck for once? Nice! The duck is moving up in the world! 
Unfortunately for the suffocating fish, Snorlax picks it up and prepares to eat it whole. Misty recalling it to the Pokeball just in time. <laughs> she then tries and fails to have Togepi use Metronome. Her friends mocking her. <laughs> Stupid Misty. The rockets then jump from nowhere and give it their own go. But Arbok is flattened, Lickitung's tongue is used as a napkin to wipe Snorlax's mouth, and Victory Bell is also flattened. Misty then chooses Psyduck legitimately, calling it the perfect Pokemon, since its psychic abilities might be able to do something. Instead, it picks up a grapefruit off the ground and shoves it in its mouth hole, running around choking until it trips and spits it out. Misty very upset and disappointed at that turn of event. Ash tells Pikachu that he's the only hope left, and Thunderbolt hits the Snorlax and seems to actually do some damage. Before it shakes the attack off and goes back to eating, half the island now completely gone. Ruby is dealing with the fallout before being hurriedly called away as we cut back to the group, sad that they can't do anything. James then directs attention to him, dressed in a magician's outfit. He pulls out a coin on a string, preparing to hypnotize the Pokemon. It actually seems responsive to this, wobbling and focusing on the pendulum as James counts down to sleepy time. Sadly, at zero, Snorlax goes right back to eating while James passes out instead. However, our heroes realize that making Snorlax sleep isn't actually that bad of an idea, and Tracy suggests massaging it to help it relax, but that fails as well. Misty then tries to have Snorlax envision a Snorlax fence counting. Listen, Snorlax, picture a beautiful wide open pasture bathed in the glow of a restful red sunset. All your cute little Snorlax friends are there with you. I wonder how many Snorlax there could be. Why don't we count them? One Snorlax, two Snorlax, three Snorlax, four Snorlax, five Snorlax, six Snorlax, 97 Snorlax, 98 Snorlax, 99 Snorlax. Hey, Misty, this is no time to take a nap. Huh? I'm awake. What are you laughing at? Jesse then dresses up in a not at all believable Snorlax suit with an apron, pretending to be Snorlax's mother and coax it to sleep. But that predictably fails as well. Sleepy, 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 sleepy. Time to take a happy little nappy now. Hurry up so you can have nice dreamy weemy. Lullaby and good night. Go, Go to sleep, little Snorlax. Go to bed, rest your head. La 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 Enraged at their trashy singing, Snorlax roundhouse kicks Team Rocket flying, ending their participation in this episode. However, this causes the group to remember Jigglypuff's existence, and they run to tell Ruby their idea. When they approach, they find her trying to figure out why all of her workers are asleep with their faces drawn on. A very happy coincidence. Realizing that Jigglypuff is still nearby, they also see Snorlax rapidly approaching the island they're on, filled with warehouses that contain the grapefruit that was saved. Our heroes hurry to put together everything Jigglypuff needs. A stage, a microphone, a big neon sign, and even some multicolored markers. A Jigglypuff's dream! Snorlax then appears, rapidly approaching the warehouses, everyone worried that Jigglypuff won't come. 
Running out of time, the group starts clapping and chanting for Jigglypuff to appear. It then sees its fans and an actual legitimate stage from the woods and eagerly bounces onto it, the group never being happier to see it. The Pokemon begins its song, using both the legitimate microphone on the stage and its little marker, as the group begins to fall asleep. Ash, however, manages to shake off the drowsiness just long enough to rush to Snorlax. Seeing it starting to doze off as well, Ash has Pikachu electrocute it, finishing the knockout. Our hero then throws a Pokeball at it, successfully capturing the Snorlax. He celebrates for but a mere moment before falling asleep as well. As expected, the group is drawn on while passed out, Jigglypuff making very liberal usage of those colored markers. Later that day, standing on a half-destroyed island, Ruby thanks the group for their help in saving what they could, while Ash thanks her back for getting the chance to catch Snorlax. She then gives the trio some candy grapefruit peels as an extra thanks, Misty handing them out to the Pokemon, who nibble on them happily. One of the workers then grabs Ruby's attention, pointing out that the area Snorlax ravaged now have new trees growing on them, already starting to sprout. That was... way too fast. Okay. They all marvel at the sight, saying she's never seen anything like it despite owning a grapefruit farm and probably knowing what seedlings look like. Tracy wonders if maybe Snorlax has some kind of ability to help new plants grow. Misty's saying, eh, who cares, it's cool anyway. Ruby says that maybe something good can come of this, and they may have even more fruit next year than ever before. Good luck with that, Ruby. I just looked it up, and it takes grapefruit trees three years to grow. Enjoy a significant drop in crops and therefore profit for that very long time. <laughs> Yay! Regardless, everyone seems happy and sees the group off on Lapras, the narrator pointing out that the sun looks like a setting grapefruit. And thusly, Ashtholomule has captured thine Snorlax. This Pokemon actually has slightly more relevance than Kingler or Tauros, believe it or not, so fans tend to remember it a bit better than those two. Also, I want to point out something kind of interesting. This is more or less a reversal of that Snorlax episode from early Indigo League. Instead of waking up a Snorlax, they're trying to put it to sleep. Instead of the start of the problem being no food and Snorlax fixing the problem, this one starts with an abundance of food and Snorlax causing the problem. And instead of the Snorlax being owned by a trainer already, it's a wild one that Ash ends up catching. I don't know, maybe I'm reaching a bit, but I feel like there are some similarities. Although that might just be because there's only really so much you can do when it comes to Snorlax ideas. This is also probably the first time in a hot minute Jigglypuff actually contributed to an episode. I think the last time was like the Blastoise episode? Dang. While this was a fun episode that does have some importance, it's probably not the best episode on Orange Islands, but still, maybe worth watching. But is our next episode worth watching? Well, my friends, let's find out when we go into... Episode 95 a ship full of shivers. <laughs> Synopsis. Hunting down a stolen trophy, the group boards a mysterious wrecked ship, which seems to still have a few residents. The group sits completely unmoving on Lapras, the scene then zooming in on Ash, admiring his two badges. Misty commenting how cool it is that the badges are all seashells. 
Usually they only have a scene like this right before or right after a gym battle, so it's a bit odd they're doing it now, considering this is a gymless episode. Ash then wonders how many more badges he needs, Tracy reminding him it's four. He braggadociously claims that two more badges will be easy to obtain. Misty warns that the next badges might be even harder to win, but Ash claims he's grown enough as a trainer to win them no problem. He then notices a rapidly approaching island, which he somehow didn't see despite it being pretty large and close. Tracy tells him it's Moro Island, and Ash says that they should land and find the Pokemon Center before it gets dark. Oh, weird, that never seemed to concern you all those times you went off on Lapras at sunset! At the Poke Center that night, Ash calls up Oak. Learning where they are, he tells the group that a 300-ish year old Orange League Championship trophy was recently uncovered from a sunken ship, and is being displayed in a museum on that island. The Poke Crew says that sounds pretty neato, and decide to take a look at it the next day. Unknown to them, though, Team Rocket is breaking into the museum. They fall down a rope, landing hard. Meowth shushes Jesse, who shushes James, who shushes a totem pole. And this kind of helps to set the vibe for the episode. It's gonna be a lot like Scooby-Doo. In my small bit of wiki reading, Scooby-Doo was released internationally around the time Orange Island started production, and many of Pokemon's anime staff had it on their mind at the time, so that's fun, I can appreciate the references. They use a museum guidebook to find the trophy, Meowth humming to himself as they just stroll along the museum, right out in the open. I can't wait to get my hands on it. And once we have that trophy, we'll all be big celebrities. Maybe I'll even get my own television series. Wouldn't that be exciting? Oh, yeah! Don't you think if we go on TV with the trophy, they'll know we were the ones who stole it? Possibly. Enthralled by the idea of getting a bonus for stealing the trophy, they skip on ahead, eventually coming upon it. James is about to grab it, but Meowth warns that there's probably special security guarding it. Putting on some goggles, he sees all the invisible alarm lasers guarding it, coming up with an idea. They somehow set up a wench on the ceiling above the case and lower James down to grab it. They snatch it no problem, then scuttle up to the top floor and climb out a window. They must have power legs due to all the times they've blasted off because they jump off of what looks like at least a four-story building and just keep running. While discussing their plans to celebrate, James trips on a rock, falling face first into the ground and leaving a James holding a trophy imprint in the dirt. Jesse and Meowth drag him away as it fades to the next morning. Ash's group approaches the museum, seeing a large crowd gathered out front and wonder what's going on. They then approach an Officer Jenny, who is very quick to tell them that the trophy's been stolen and give them all the details about the case, including their lack of evidence. She then points to the imprint as their only clue, Misty wondering who could do something so terrible. Walking along a seaside port, the group laments not being able to see the trophy. Ash then stumbles over something, turning and seeing a leg sticking from the brush. It retracts back into the foliage, all of Team Rocket then yawning and waking up from a celebration-slash-food coma. Meowth then straight up says, mm, nothing like waking up after a good heist, causing Misty to angrily confront him with the rest of the group. The team then poorly claims ignorance. Meowth! 
We don't know anything about any championship trophies. And wow. if we did, a stolen one certainly wouldn't be in this package. Oh, they'll never think we took it now. The heroes insist that the villains return the trophy. Jesse and James begin to motto, but Meowth tries to flee with the trophy while they do, the other two noticing and following after. The Pokey crew chases after them to the water, Jesse and James giving their motto anyway as they run, finishing it towards no one as they jump onto the pier. Meowth also gives his line before yelling at them for wasting time with the motto, shoving them further. They then spy a Cedra-styled boat, jumping on! and realizing to their disappointment that it's a pedal boat, scuttling away as fast as they can. Ash calls out Lapras, jumping on and following. James worries they won't be fast enough, just as a current begins to pull them out, and a thick fog suddenly sets in as well. Using it to their advantage, they lose Ash's group, who search futilely for the three. Team Rocket then come across a massive, desolate, and seemingly abandoned ship. Boarding and finding no one on board, they decide to hide out on it. Nobody here but Team Rocket. This is the perfect place to hide out. It's about time we had good luck. Yeah, the chances must be a million to one finding a ship like this. That's right, Meowth. The only other kind of ships you find floating around like this are those old haunted ships that... Did I say... Haunted? This is also a really solid Scooby-Doo moment. A spectral sheet then appears behind them, spooking them into some weak boards that break under the three, plunging them deeper into the ship. Meanwhile, Ash's group is unable to locate the rockets, and are about to cut their losses and go back to the island when Tracy spots the ship appear in the fog. As the group observes it apprehensively, they muse if it's haunted, Misty timidly saying she hates ghosts. Which is way funnier if you imagine that she's specifically thinking of the ghastly that conned them of their money and messed with them until sunrise on Maiden's Peak. It just, just making it a grudge makes it much more entertaining. The trio then notices the Cedra boat and realizes the rockets must still be on board. Seeing no other option, our heroes board the ship as well, Misty the most against the idea, but following along anyway. On the deck, Ash assumes that this ship must be where the trophy was recovered. While both him and Tracy are turned away, Misty sees the ghost sheet out of the corner of her eye, causing her to worry that they're being watched, Ash agreeing that it does feel kinda weird. Hearing some cracking wood, Misty turns just in time to see one of the masts falling towards her, jumping out of the way at the last second. However, she loses her grip on Togepi, causing it to roll right into the hole Team Rocket fell down, everyone screaming in horror. After the Who's That Pokemon segment spoils the plot by showing Ghastly, we cut to the group searching for the babby inside the ship, finding mostly empty rooms. Togepi, revealed to be safe, begins running around the ship on its own, almost falling down another hole and then spotting Team Rocket, lost in the ship as well. While figuring out where to go, Jessie gets a tap on her shoulder. She then turns around, seeing the floating sheet from earlier but with angry eyeballs staring at them, causing the trio to flip out and run away. Another good Scooby-Doo moment. As they flee, another sheet appears in front of them, trapping the three in a pincer maneuver. The rear one tries to grab the trophy off of James's back, Jesse and Meowth holding onto his legs as the bag tied around his neck starts choking him. 
The front sheet then hovers over to Meowth and Jesse, licking them with a giant tongue and paralyzing them both, James collapsing from exhaustion as well. By the by, that was a lick attack, which Meowth should have been immune to, just, just saying. The two ghosts fly off with the trophy, Meowth weakly yelling after them. Togepi then watches the ghosts exit the room, chittering happily as it does. Some other location on the ship, Tracy sends out Meryl, asking it to locate the baby. Its ears twitch for a second before it runs off, leading them to a partially open doorway. Running inside, Misty screams in terror at a shadow on the wall, only for the group to see it's just Togepi in front of a lantern, none of them questioning why it's lit. As Misty moves forward to reunite with her Pokemon, the two sheet ghosts fly in front of her, spinning around Togepi. Misty, now in mom mode, sends out Staryu, which spins and grabs the sheets, revealing a ghastly and haunter as the true culprits. That's right, they wanted real estate. Ash pulls out his Pokedex, despite having seen both Pokemon up close before. But unlike last time, Westwood actually has data on Haunter. Yay! It then looks like Haunter is moving to attack Togepi, Ash sending out Bulbasaur in response, having it quickly use Vine Whip. Thankfully, it stops just shy of hitting the ghost, who along with Ghastly is just playing with Togepi. Now relieved, the three wonder why the Pokemon are even hanging out here, before noticing the trophy sitting on a pedestal in the room. They begin to walk over to retrieve it, but Haunter and Ghastly quickly fly in their way. Ash angrily yells that the trophy belongs in the museum, and they'll be taking it back. Just as the rockets burst in the room and insist they're going to take the trophy instead. Jesse sends out Arbok and James Victory Bell. Interestingly, it doesn't eat him this time, but instead bounces after Meowth. After Meowth shakes the plant off, Arbok and Victory Bell lunge at the group. Victory Bell's Razor Leaf and Arbok's Tackle phase right through the two ghosts, though, and Ghastly counters Victory Bell with Nightshade, while Haunter hits Arbok with a Confuse Ray, which causes the snake to turn against the rockets, jumping at them. Meowth worms his way out of the snake's weight, but is grabbed and possessed by the Haunter, marking the second of many times Meowth is used as a possessed mouthpiece, and the second time this episode a ghost type affects a normal type when it probably shouldn't. The ghosts explain through proxy that they've guarded this trophy for centuries, and use some magic illusion powers to show the group their backstory. They're the Pokemon of the ship's captain, a successful and well-liked merchant who loved his Pokemon, especially the two ghost types. One day, a storm sunk the ship, and the two have guarded the trophy since. Centuries later, divers entered the ship and took the trophy, unintentionally releasing the two Pokemon from their Pokeballs. Also, quick detour stop. Those are normal, modern-day Pokeballs they pop out of. Plus, Legends Arceus is about 200 years ago, and Pokeballs were relatively new inventions back then, meaning they probably didn't have any Pokeballs back then, let alone modern ones. So, to avoid having to glare disapprovingly at this inconsistency they created 20-odd years ago before they even knew Pokemon lore concretely, I'm just gonna say these two ghosts found some modern Pokeballs floating in the sea and captured themselves for some reason. Anyway, back to the story, the ghosts use their powers to raise the ship, using it to hunt for the trophy. And now, 
it's been returned. Ash comments that the captain must have been an incredible trainer, and the ghosts show a vision of him in the ancient Orange League tournament, winning his battle with ease, the ghosts proud of their partner. The captain then challenges anyone to battle him, pointing to random spots in the crowd, saying, You! Or you! And coincidentally ending on Ash with one final, or even you. The boy grows excited, rushing to challenge him just as the illusion fades, leaving the captain's room just as it was before. Ghastly and Haunter hope they made their case, and the trio agree that the trophy should stay with the ship, especially considering how loyal and faithful the two Pokemon have been. They then politely ask the trainers to leave, making extra sure to bid farewell to Togepi before releasing Meowth from the trance. He then wakes up his partners, who furiously rush for the trophy, only to get Pikachu electrocuting them and Haunter using Psychic to fling them away. Meowth also has an oddly delayed and drawn-out yell. Our heroes, once again back on Lapras, watch as the ship is levitated, being flown off into the night, heading to a new secluded location. Hey, I heard there's a horde of Kabuto hiding away somewhere, maybe you could join them. The three yell their goodbyes as the ghosts watch from the window. Misty points out that the trophy looked pretty cool, and Ash replies that he'll just have to win one of his own, just like the captain. And I assume they never go back to the museum and report what happened, because that would be way too hard to explain. Orange Islands keeps up its trend of generally pretty good episodes. Pokemon and Scooby-Doo work surprisingly well, at least for one episode. If they tried to do it again, I don't know if it'd work as well, but as a one-off, this is great. I also feel like this episode was supposed to come after the Snorlax episode, since Ash was gawking at his new badges, which he only does after a gym episode. And he also doesn't mention Snorlax. The latter part on its own isn't exactly weird, but combined with the former makes me a bit suspicious. In the end, this is a fun, goofy episode and is a great one to watch and just enjoy thoughtlessly. But that's not a bad thing, it's, it's just a good episode, I like it. And next on the docket is... Episode 96, Meowth Rules! Synopsis. Washing up on one of the islands, Meowth is mistaken as a deity that will bring fortune to the island's people. He decides to take advantage of this, but his loyalty to his friends and his inability to use payday may lead to trouble. Under the moonlight, Team Rocket struggles to repair their Magikarp submarine on a rocky outcropping. James wonders if he was never meant to be happy, Jesse yelling at him to try positive thinking right before they hear Meowth crying in happiness over clams. Ooh. Try looking on the bright side for a change. I'm so happy. Huh? I'm gonna have free clams for dinner. Uh, I'm the happiest Meowth in the whole world. I'm all for positive thinking, but Meowth seems to be stretching the concept a little too far. Well, I'm very happy for you. Now, why don't you learn payday and make us happy with some money? While being shaken, Meowth explains that learning to walk and talk basically took up his move slot, so he's unable to learn Payday, James dropping him. Jesse then rushes over, insisting she heard a coin jingle. Meowth claiming he heard it too, and it came from James. 
Jesse swings him around, and something small, round, and shiny flies from his shirt. Meowth slides over to it, but is disappointed to see "Ah, it's just a bottle cap. James tackles the trinket, saying that he couldn't live without his most very extra special favorite limited edition vintage bottle cap. (laughs) This is also the first time that his obsession with bottle caps is shown. It was kind of hinted at in the Marowak episode, but this is shown full force. Jesse then points out Ash's group, doing more dangerous night sailing and proving that they actually do travel at night like idiots. While looking for a place to dock, our heroes spot a weird light approaching in the water. The rockets emerge from their sub, giving their most evil of mottos. Just as Jesse says that, this time you're sunk, they begin sinking as their vessel wasn't fully repaired. Ash pitifully sends out Squirtle, who water guns Jesse and James into the night sky. Meowth, who was hiding behind the sub's fin, breathes a sigh of relief over not getting hit too. Before he is then hit too, being launched at a slightly different trajectory, flying over an ocean floating Jesse and James. On a distant island, some villagers cosplaying as cats celebrate in front of a golden Meowth statue, saying that night is the prophesized night where they will finally be graced with the presence of the Meowth of Bounty who will bestow wealth upon the island. Just then, Team Rocket's Meowth crash lands on the beach, unable to even recover before he's approached by people with flashlights, who then put him on a carrier and bring him away. Meowth is placed in front of the statue and given a large amount of fruit as an offering. He stares confused at the people bowing in worship before him, a young and old man approaching and thanking the cat for his arrival. Please, partake of our humble offering. I'm a little short on cash, but I can pay you for the food on Tuesday. (gasps) Could it be? Did you hear that? I can't believe my ear. I didn't either. It's incredible. Uh, Maybe I should have kept my big mouth shut. (laughs) Nice Popeye's reference. The worshippers are stunned to hear Meowth talk, and the young man whispers that, hey, the, the prophecy didn't mention any talking. The old man arguing that, well, it's a special creature, so it must have special powers, duh. While Meowth worries that he's in really deep trouble, the two village leaders argue about when to start the bounty ceremony, eventually settling on trying to gain the Meowth's favor first before beginning it. Just as Meowth is about to sneak away, the people all begin worshipping him again, causing him to realize that as long as he doesn't tell them that he's the wrong guy, he could enjoy life here for a bit. The next morning, Meowth is gorging himself on food, before angrily demanding 100 meatballs, which he also promptly gets. Meowth then demands entertainment, and the young man brings out several scantily clad hula dancing cat girl cosplayers. Two of them then kiss Meowth on the cheeks, and he melts into a love-struck gelatin, content with his entertainment. These are necessary scenes, don't judge them. He then vibes while staring off a cliff, playing a guitar and singing. Landing here was such a blessing, now all day long I'm happinessing, but still... He then realizes that he kind of misses Jesse and James, wondering what they're up to. Before spotting Lapras rapidly swimming towards the island, twerps and all. Meowth fears that the kids will sell him out, the villagers attacking him after being deceived. 
in order to prevent this, he rushes to the villagers while dressed as a shrine maiden and warns that the newly arrived people are dangerous and orders they be chased off the island. Initially somewhat reluctant, the villagers agree for the sake of the bounty. The young leader calls for the Meowth of Bounty Guard, and the gold statue from earlier stomps through the forest, revealed to be a giant mecha. Kinda. It's powered by some guys inside spinning like some gears while chanting Meowth's name. Ash's group, meanwhile, is just you know, walking along, minding their own business. The giant Meowth then charges towards them, Tracy giving this very insightful wisdom. It's over 20 feet tall! That's too big to be a real Meowth! It then slams the ground with its paw, just missing the group. Pikachu's Thunderbolt proves ineffective, and the group runs for it, being chased off a cliff and into the water. They then act all Karen and are like, Well, fine, I'll take my tourism somewhere I'm wanted. <laughs> Having chased the kids off, the worshippers report their progress, also revealing that they discover two other people on the shore, Jesse and James. The two yell for Meowth to release them, but worrying that they'll ruin the plan as well, Meowth demands that they're taken away. The golden Meowth bringing them to the sea as the rockets yell angrily, Meowth looking away, pained expression on his face. Learning that Meowth is supposed to be the god of fortune, Jesse and James sneak back onto the island. While Jesse is initially ticked off at him enjoying himself, James points out that it looks like Meowth finally found true happiness for once, causing both of them to relax slightly. The two leaders then approach Meowth and say that it's time for the bounty ceremony, where the cat will use payday to give wealth and happiness to all of the island's people. Meowth, panicking over not knowing Payday, tries to escape, but the golden Meowth grabs him, shaking the cat around to reveal the money he must be able to make. Meowth yells that he can't use Payday, throwing everyone into a frenzy. The young man grabs the old one, demanding answers, the old guy explaining that Meowth simply hasn't used Payday in a while, and just needs some battling experience to remember. Meowth? Tries to argue with this, but the man believes it's all part of a test, the cult bringing Meowth to a stadium to train. Jesse and James worry for their comrade's safety, but Jesse believes it'll also teach him a valuable lesson. In a modestly sized Pokemon arena, the crowd cheers as Meowth is thrown out, giving this iconic line. Wow! I got a lot of people to disappoint! Jesse and James also sit in the stands, disguised as cat worshippers. A Nido King is sent out, chasing Meowth around the field, the cat eventually giving up. After searching the field for any dropped coins, the people then send out Onyx, which thrashes and wraps Meowth, Team Rocket watching on while cringing. James says that they should help, as Meowth is still their friend, and Jesse agrees. The old man demands that Meowth learn payday soon, while Meowth laments the thought that he was never meant to be happy. At that moment, a silver coin flies out and hits the onyx on the head, the snake dropping Meowth. More coins then begin to fly from nowhere, islanders rushing to grab them. It's revealed that Jessie is the one throwing these coins from one of the entranceways, surprised that she'd be willing to lose all of her money to help Meowth. 
She asks James what he's got to help, too. And while he doesn't have money, he does have his prized bottle cap collection, throwing it without hesitation to help his friend. Jesse then moves to head off, James wondering why they're not grabbing Meowth. She tells him that well, Meowth will probably be much happier as a hero on the island than stuck with zeros like them, her partner in crime agreeing as he follows after her. Meowth returns to his spot on the throne, praised for delivering the bounty, the islanders pouring it all into a bowl at the base of the altar. While Meowth is happy to be there, he's unsure how he managed to make the money appear. The cultists then ask Meowth to stay and rule over them, which he's about to agree to until he notices one coin that looks a little bit different. Getting a closer look, the cat sees that it's James's bottle cap and realizes that his friend selflessly helped him. Coming to the understanding that he cares for his companions more than being a ruler, he rushes off crying to find them. The other two rockets stroll along the rocks, James saying that it'll be harder to pedal the submarine with just the two of them, Jesse saying that it'll be a good workout at least. They then hear Meowth calling for them, and seeing him coming quickly hide to avoid causing him pain. Meowth sobs that he wishes he had the chance to apologize to the two of them, the islanders catching up and begging him to stay and give them happiness. Meowth then says that he's done nothing to bring happiness, telling the worshippers how much he cares for and misses his companions as they're his true happiness. Moved by Meowth's words, Jesse and James come out of hiding. Great one, our people need you here. I'm a friend who needs you too. Make it double, we both need you. You too. You protect us both from desperation. You unite us all in jubilation. You help chase away our loneliness. You're a mess, but we love you nevertheless. Jesse. James. Team Rocket's friendship never ends. So let's set sail on our ship of friends! <gasps> Meowth asks in surprise if they're mad at him, Jesse saying they are mad, but he's still their friend, and they're willing to forgive him, adding teasingly that he has to pay them back for all the coins they threw anyway. James welcomes him back onto the sub, and Meowth tearfully hops on, telling the cult to never forget what truly makes them happy. They beg him not to leave, but the rockets ignore their cries and set off. Elsewhere, our heroes continue their trek, Ash still trying to figure out why they were thrown off the island. Misty suggests that the island was only for cat Pokemon, meaning Pikachu wasn't welcome and had to be scared off, with Tracy countering with the theory that the statue was actually guarding an ancient civilization, Ash shrugging them both off as the narrator notes that the group sails on, unaware of what they just missed. That evening, the rockets fish from the roof of their submarine, James wishing they could get me out to learn payday. Jesse then suggests maybe having him battle to gain experience, James saying that, well, it's worth a try, both of them sending out their Pokemon as Meowth panics and yells that they're supposed to be friends! Once again, rocket-focused episodes proved to be some of the best. The story is a fun, sweet one, the rocket cast did great with their performances, and it was all around just a good time. Plus, I love how Ash's group has even less involvement in this episode than with, like, James's family one. They just show up to be thrown out and be like, well, this stinks, 
It's great. And seeing this episode also made me notice that there are significantly fewer endings recently that involve the Rocket Trio being tormented, which became really common in Indigo League. Honestly, it's more enjoyable not seeing them near death and just ending with a standard closing shot. Once or twice can be amusing, but it got really repetitive at a certain point. Anyway, to close, this is a fantastic, fun episode, and it's definitely well worth your time. Yeah, hey guys, it's me, Ryan, again, back from the intro, and you remember me, right? Of course you do, you gotta remember your buddy. <laughs> so, usual closing messages, Um, please make sure to follow, subscribe, whatever your service tells you to do to get updates on the podcast, because it means a lot to me when uh, you do that. And that way, you can not follow the at one of every Twitter account, but I also say you should do that, because, you know, just get updates everywhere. Why not? What's the harm? You just encourage this small boy to follow his dreams, and all it takes is a simple button press. You you can do it, buddy. Yeah. And also tell your friends, family, dog, whoever you want. Uh, just tell someone. You don't have to. I'm lying. That, that sounded like a threat. Uh, don't worry about that. Nothing will happen to you if you don't. But if you do, once again, you'll make a small boy happy. Hehe. <laughs> And to close, I hope you have a great morning, day, evening, outside of space, time, whatever. Just have a good one. Bye!